right. Um, and as you, as you have a seat, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4 today, starting in verse 2. We're going to cover verses 2 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4. And as you turn there, I just want to also welcome all of our guests. If you're a first-time guest, you are loved and valued. We're so thankful that you're here. And uh, we would love for you to take the Connect card, this perforated section at the bottom of the worship guide, and uh, just fill it out at some point during the service. Let us know that you were able to come. If you have any prayer requests or need any information on next steps, then we're going to follow up with you this week and let you know that we're here for you. We care. Uh, So we would love for you to do that. You can do that uh, on the worship guide, or you can do that by going to rhc.church forward slash cc, all right? And that's online. Uh, but as we, as we get in today, I just want to give a heads up. This is the last Sunday in our playlist series. Next week, we're going to start an Advent series called The New Horizon. What, what it means for Jesus coming into our world. So we're going to, in this Christmas season, fo- focus on the coming of Christ and what it, uh, His coming means for us. And then in the new year, I'm really, really excited. We're going to camp out in a book of the Bible, uh, the letter of uh, First Peter. And it's been a little while since we've really just dove into a book. Some of that's been circumstantial, my sabbatical and this and that. Uh, but we love to preach through books at Redemption Hill. And so that's coming in the new year. Get ready. Uh, we're going to help uh, equip you through that series with some, some special ideas and some special focus points. Uh, but today we're in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, as we get into this text, I just want to take you down memory lane for me to the first semester of my doctoral studies. It was a very trying semester, to say the least. You see, uh, rather than easing into the program and taking the maybe recommended two seminars, uh, I chose the more ambitious three. And what I didn't know is that those three seminars proved to be the most laborious of uh, my whole experience through the program. And so uh, by the end of that, you know, three-month period, I had typed out over 250 pages on top of the thousands upon thousands that I was responsible for reading and being prepared to discuss in seminars. And so uh, needless to say, it was a difficult and trying time. And that was on top of working full-time, serving in my church, and being a newlywed of three and a half weeks. Now, before you call me stupid, all right, just know that my wife stuck with me, fam, all right? Thank you, Lord, for her patience and perseverance through that rocky few months as I was just keeping my head above water. Uh, I can remember just being riddled by anxiety. Uh, The night before I had this presentation uh, before world-renowned scholar Andreas Kustenberger, I mean, with a name like Kustenberger, you just, that's just intimidating in and of itself, you know what I'm saying? Uh, And then to have to critique 700 pages that were very, very difficult to digest. In fact, I think that book probably digested me, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Just a difficult read. And so I can remember just being riddled by anxiety the night before, so much so I'm pretty sure that I had an anxiety dream that night. Have you ever had one? You know, an anxiety dream is when you you find yourself in a situation in your dream in which you're uh, unprepared or, or underperform in that given situation. And I woke up the next day, and I'm not sure my performance was much better than the, the, you know, the, the performance in my dream, but, uh, but thankfully I made it through. But the point is that it was a, a very, very difficult situation for me. And, and you ask, why, why was I so anxious? 
Why was I so anxious in these moments? And there's a four-letter word that captures the reason why. And that is F-E-A-R, fear. I feared that I would be exposed for maybe not being able to cut it in the PhD program. I feared that I would be humiliated before my professor and my peers. I feared that I would have done all of the hard work in vain. You see, anxiety creeps up when, when we're facing a future fear. When, I mean, any, any uncertainty in our life can cause anxiety to rise and be exposed in our hearts. Have you ever been there? Do you wrestle with any anxieties these days? Anxiety is a fact of life. It's, it's part of life under the sun in our difficult and troubled world. But the good news that I want to share with you today is that God cares about our anxiety. He cares about the uncertainties in our lives. God wants to give us his peace in the midst of any and every situation that we may find ourselves in. And so whether anxiety is an occasional challenge or a dreadful nemesis in your life, God is the God of peace who wants to give us his peace today and every day. And so if you would read along with me as I read these verses for us, we're going to hear what God has to say through the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 on this, this topic of anxiety and God's peace. This is what Philippians chapter 4 says, starting in verse 2. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We have a rapid fire flurry of encouragements from Paul to these believers, a church just like ours gathered in the city of Philippi. 
And these exhortations at first glance seem to be almost disconnected. You know, it's just kind of one encouragement after another, after another, after another. But upon closer examination, we see this thread of, of the theme of peace that flows all throughout these exhortations and encouragements. And so what I want to share with you today from God's word is this. Without the peace of God, there is no peace within. All right? Without the peace of God, there will be no peace within. I want to give you two simple truths that I believe, if we just hang on to them and believe them and put them into practice in our lives, no matter what the uncertainty may be, that we can wave goodbye to anxiety and say hello, hello to God's peace. The first truth is simply this. It is that God desires our peace. God desires our peace. He begins in verses 2 and 3, and what we learn there is that God desires our peace with other people. He wants us to experience peace in all of our relationships. I'm sure you don't have to think too long to think about maybe a relationship that has been disrupted by some kind of friction. There's been some kind of fraction maybe in the relationship that you once enjoyed harmony. Now there's the disruption and disharmony that you're experiencing, maybe some kind of unresolved conflict. This is what was going on in the city of Philippi. You see, uh, unity has been a dominant theme in the book of Philippians. So much so that some scholars say that unity is the theme of of Philippians, the the most important theme in Philippians. We can flip back to chapter 1, verse 27, where uh, really what could be the theme verse of Philippians, where Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, listen, with one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is Paul's heart. This is the heart of God, that that we would be unified, that we would uh, experience harmony in our relationships. Yes, in the church. I mean, our prayer as pastors is that there is no friction, and whenever, whenever there is friction, because there will be friction, that we deal with it in a, in a godly way, in a biblical way, and we experience God's peace in our relationships. That's why Paul even goes so far to name two women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, who needed to find agreement. When Paul says, I entreat, and he says, before both of their names, did you see that? I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat syndicate. So this word entreat means to plead with, to urge. This is a serious matter. Sometimes we just get so comfortable, it's like, you know what, I can just avoid that person, and I can just kind of, you know, like, like not say what's up to them on Sunday, you know, and, and then we just kind of sidestep rather than dealing with. And God wants our peace. So Paul's saying, look, you have to deal with this, and and I'm entreating you to agree. This word agree is the very same word that he uses in chapter 2, verse 5. Can you believe this? When he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He wants them to come to a shared mind. He wants them to see from a unified perspective and a unified heart to be able to move forward together again side by side, not apart from one another. 
And so Paul understands that relational harmony can be destructive in the church, not just for the two people who are maybe experiencing disharmony, but when, when two people experience disharmony in the church, it's, it, it can affect everyone else as well. I mean, just think about what they must have been experiencing. This letter is being read, and then all of a sudden your name gets called out. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, what began as a personal spat has now become internationally known, which teaches us a really good lesson about conflict. And I'm just trying to help you out today, but listen, when you have conflict with someone else, you may think that no one else knows around you, but I'm pretty sure that most everyone probably knows about that conflict. It's an incentive to deal with it, and sometimes we need a mediator to step in. This is what Paul is calling for. We need, we need a third party to enter in that desires the good of both people to help them through. Paul calls them uh, in, in verse uh, 2, or actually verse 3, a true companion, someone that's going to come alongside of them and, and, and help them through their disharmony. Why is this so important? Why, why do we at times need someone else to step in and help us work through our differences? It's because the human heart has a very strong capacity to assume what is best about ourselves and justify all of our actions. But listen, there is a 99% chance that you are not 100% right. You hear that? 99% chance that you are not 100% right. Listen, we all have brokenness within us. We all need God's help. We're all growing together to the point where we begin to say, listen, it's not about being right, but being right. You see that? It's not about, it's not about me being right. It's about us being right. It's not about taking sides, right? This is what happens, right? And we start talking about what happened to get someone else on our side so we feel better about ourselves and better about our perspective. And like Paul's saying, look, you don't need to be on this side or this side. You need to get on God's side. Let's not re leave conflict unresolved, no matter what it may be. Let's work it out. If we need someone's help in the process, let's pull someone else in so that we can get on the same page. Listen, this page is the page of love. God's called us to love one another as he has loved us. And how contrary to the gospel is it, the good news of Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us, that if he would die for every single one of us in the room, how much more should we not also extend Love to the people around us, even to the point of working through our difficulties. And when we do, listen, look at the wisdom of verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This, this word reasonableness can, can be uh, translated considerate or to have a, a gentle spirit. This is the kind of approach that we are to take 
when we interact with one another. And I love Paul because Paul's constantly giving motivations. Did you see that? He's saying, let your reasonableness, reasonable, that's a tough word to say. I'm struggling with that one today. Reasonableness be known to everyone. So, so in other words, when we practice gentleness and consideration, then other people will see it, number one, and they will be encouraged. That's the first motivation. But then number two, he says, the Lord is at hand. And what that means is that Jesus is coming back. And so Paul motivates by saying, hey, look, guess what? You're not going to want to stand before God and Jesus when he returns if you're not in good standing with the people around you. There's motivation to get it right. There's motivation to work it out. And so I just want to ask you a question this morning that at first glance you may not consider too deeply, but I hope we all will. And that's this. Do you consider yourself to be a threat to the unity of this church? Do you consider you to be a threat to the unity of this church? Everyone should be nodding their heads, right? Everyone, we are, you are, I am a threat. We need need the grace of God to keep us pursuing one another, chasing after Unified relationships, loving relationships. I mean, you're like, some of you kind of don't look too convinced right now. And so let me just help you out. If you're not convinced, here's the convincing. Euodia and Syntyche, who were they? Leaders in the church. These women were leaders. They were servant leaders. They were serving side by side with the Apostle Paul. Their names are written. Did you see it in verse verse 3? Their names are written in the book of life. These are people who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. If they're a threat, I'm a threat, and you're a threat. So we need God's perspective. We need His peace to help us to experience peace with one another. But it's not just peace with people, it's also peace with them. God desires for us to experience peace with them. Look at verse 6. He goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything. Ooh, Paul, you had to go there. I mean, he could have just, just said, do not be anxious. Anxious, which might have opened up some room for like, hey, I'm going to try, Paul. I'm going to be not anxious about, you know, 75% of my life, but this 25%, you know, I think like God understands. He says to not be anxious about anything. Anxiety happens when we fear the consequences of unmet desires. Anxiety is future-oriented. This is why Ed Welch, in his excellent book, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest, he says, worriers are visionaries minus the optimism. Got that? 
Warriors are visionaries. We're thinking about the future. We don't know what's going to happen. And so we just think about it and worry and worry and worry. And listen, worry can creep up. Anxiety can creep up in any and every circumstance. Just consider possessions. The wealthy are anxious about how to keep their money, right? The not-so-wealthy are anxious about how to get more money or possessions. Or you can think about those who are experience oppression versus the free, right? The oppression is obvious. So if anyone that is being uh, oppressed in any way desires, rightfully so, their freedom, so they're anxious about gaining their freedom. But the free are anxious about all the choices they make because freedom brings the multiplicity of choices in life. That's why Kierkegaard said that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Wow. We live in a free land. We have so many choices before us. And that can compound the anxiety that we experience in our souls. You see, anxiety, it does, it does feel like that. It feels like a war in our soul. The Bible says that anxiety is like a weight. This is what God says about anxiety. It says, anxiety in the heart weighs a person down. Proverbs 12, verse 25. A fleeting anxious thought can trip us up, but ongoing anxiety can absolutely paralyze us. So I just want to ask you this morning, what, what uncertainty in your life is exposing the anxiety that is within? And I hope you paid attention to the way that I asked that question because anxiety is a matter of the heart and our circumstances expose what it is that we're valuing, right? So whenever we, we talked about this a few weeks ago about emotions, but whenever something that, that we love or value is threatened, it might be something at work, it might be a relationship, it might be possessions, it might be whatever. Whenever that thing is threatened, then we start to, can start to become anxious. It can expose the the potential idols in our lives, right? We're, we're, whatever it is that we're chasing after, desiring, elevating, loving more than we're loving God. So, so that thing becomes the thing that we can't get off our mind. When the reality is, as we've already sang about this morning, is that God is, 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 is the only ultimate reality that this should be in our lives. He is the one that we should be thinking about and pursuing more than any other. But listen, I love this next truth. No matter, listen, no matter how many times you have forfeited the peace that could have been yours through interpersonal conflict or anxious thoughts, not only does God desire to give you peace, but God does give us his peace. He does. God desires our peace and God gives us peace. His peace. We see this in verses 6 and following. Look, look, I'm just going to read verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you can testify this morning? You can raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. All right, you know, we can be vulnerable. We don't have to be vulnerable. How many of you can testify that peace often feels elusive in your life? Anybody? Like, like, like you just feel like you're traveling through life in a steady state of disequilibrium, right? It's like, man, I was, I was doing okay, but now this has creeped up in my life. And so I feel a little off balance, and I was doing better, but now, you know, this happened, and, and it's disrupting my peace again. And there are so many different solutions that are proposed, right? Not all bad. Not all irrelevant. Some people say, just to calm the anxiety in your life, you know, work out. Remember the, the sermon a few weeks ago, how we doing? I got to do better, all right? I'm doing, but I'm not doing great, all right? So keep praying for, for Pastor Tanner, all right? That goal of three, three times a week is still my goal, so pray for me. I'm going to get after it this week, all right? Pray for me, check in on me. But some people say, work out. Or, or some people, you know, they, they say, just work on breathing techniques, you know? I don't know if that's how it goes. I'm just imagining, you know. Just, um, you know, I haven't had a lot of coaching on that. But, um, you know, maybe it's, hey, you know, just a glass of wine in the evening. Like any, anyone? Just like that's, your, that's just kind of your solution to unwind, to feel peace, you know. Maybe it's medication. Maybe it's increased willpower. Listen, again, I'm not saying that any of those are irrelevant or totally irrelevant, but what I am saying is that they're not ultimate. God is ultimate. That's why Paul, when he says, don't be anxious about anything, he immediately follows it up by saying, but by prayer. Prayer is the solution. Because what else is prayer? Listen, prayer is not this ger- generic, ritual, religious exercise that God says, hey, just pray and we'll see how things go. Prayer brings us into the presence of God. What else is prayer but stopping, pausing, and talking with God and listening as he reveals who he is. This is is so crucial that Paul, he he triple-decks terms for prayer. Let me just drive around Somerville this week, all the triple-deckers, and just think about prayer, supplication, requests. Don't be anxious about anything but by Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your request known to God. What what we're saying in prayer is that, God, you are greater than my greatest problems. You see that? This is how we we, we bring God into the equation through prayer. We're saying, God, you are the solution. You are bigger and you are better than whatever anxieties are riddling my mind and my heart these days. And when we pray with a sincere heart 
and we bring God into the equation, we stop relying on ourselves and, and just the hope of a change in circumstances, what, what we realize is that anxiety is cured by addition, not subtraction. You got that? Anxiety is cured by addition, not subtraction. Here's what I mean. So often we believe that if we can just change the circumstances in our lives, if we can just see, you know, circumstances change so that, you know, these situations and circumstances are removed or alleviated, then I'm going to experience peace. But there's a reason that cannot be the case. Why, Pastor Tanner? Because... Jesus promised it. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. So, so, so let me just translate that. Whenever you get through one set of challenging circumstances, there will be another right around the corner. You and I both know this. It's not the removal of circumstances because we live in a troubled world where there is going to be more difficulty around the bend. And not only that, it's not the removal of circumstances, but it's the condition of our hearts before God that brings us freedom from our anxieties. That's why it's not the removal of circumstantial pressure, but the addition of a trustworthy God. Ed Welch says this about this kind of, this kind of view, this kind of reality of, of bringing God into the equation, uh, but, but th- how to, that frees us from my anxiety. Listen to what he says about the anxious soul. He says, there is an entire worldview implicit in some worry. No one is really looking out for me. I am an orphan in a chaotic universe that operates according to chance. See that? That's like the anxious way down soul is pretending or acting as if no one is looking out for them and that everything is just happening, happening randomly in life, that I'm just a victim of my circumstances. But when we bring God into the equation, I love how Jesus taught us to pray. Who knows how Jesus taught us to pray? The first two words are what? Come on, we got to say it with a little more passion. Our what? Our Father. Our Father. When we say these two words, Father, our Father, this is enough to begin to put anxiety on the run in our lives. Because it doesn't say that we're orphans. It's saying there's a Father who cares for us. He knows what's going on in our lives. And not only does He know what's going on, but He cares for us. He's sovereign. He's in control. He can do something about it. Faith is the antithesis of worry or anxiety. So just by coming to God in prayer, just just by saying, our Father, What we're doing is what we're saying, God, I trust you in this circumstance to be with me 
Even if my circumstances don't change, you are better than however these circumstances can, are, are going to unfold, and you can give me your peace in the midst of these circumstances. We pray, Father, help. Father, heal. Father, move. Father, provide. Father, change hearts, including this anxious one. We remember the truth of our Father. The Father's promises that no matter if we are walking through a fire or in a flood, He is with us. We will not be burned nor be consumed. We remember the words of Romans 8.38, I mean 8.32. Who knows Romans 8.32? For if God did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We have a God who cares, a God who is with us, a God that we can trust. And so how do we pray? We, we pray by presenting request. He says, in, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And so this word supplication, it means to plead with humility. And I love that idea, right? Because this is, again, this is what prayer, we're talking about the, the basics and the fundamentals of prayer. Prayer is so healthy for us because in prayer, we're saying, God, I don't have the resources in and of myself. You know, I, I, I've checked, I've tried, you know, like. Those are my glasses. Oh, my glass. Oh, oh. Oh. I know I look silly right now, but. Hopefully, yeah, we, you do do too. Yeah, just not as bad as me right now. Um, Reddy said, don't we all? Sorry. He wasn't, he wasn't hating on you. He was just helping me out. You see that. We don't have the resources. But God, you have the resources. God, God I, I, have to, I have to come to you because only you can provide the peace that I'm longing for in this situation. And so we present our request to God. And we pray with thanksgiving. You see, what is gratitude? Let's think for a minute about gratitude this Thanksgiving week. Gratitude recognizes the graciousness of someone else. That's what gratitude is. Gratitude is, is recognizing the graciousness of someone else, that, that someone else has done something that is beyond you to provide something for you. And so when we, we recognize that God is, is at work, that, that he is the one that is providing for us and caring for us, it, it causes gratitude to well up in our hearts. I hope this week, this is a challenge for you, okay? This week, why not make this Thanksgiving week and not Thanksgiving Thursday? And maybe just a very simple thing that you can do for this is to either begin or end or maybe both, okay? Just, just giving God some Thanksgiving in your prayer time. 
Maybe you even want to journal it. Just write it down. God, thank you. Thank you for Farkle with my daughter last night. Thank you for friends that care about me. Thank you for a church family that is on a mission together. Thank you for how you provide this place to live and food to eat and friends that walk with me through life. I mean, just, just, just begin recording it from, from, from great to small. Because there's something that happens when we give God thanks and praise. Uh, Karl Barth said this. He said, to begin by praising God, praise and thanksgiving go, go hand in hand. To begin by praising God for the fact that in this situation, as it is, God is so mightily God, such a beginning is the end of anxiety. Do you see that? Like, God, in this situation, you are still good. You are still worthy of my thanks and praise. I mean, are, are you, got, you, you tracking with me? All right, if you're like, here's how I know you're tracking. Give God some praise this week. Give God some thanks this week. And then let's talk next Sunday. If you will go to God and say, God, thank you, 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 God, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for this. All of a sudden, you might see that your life is not that bad. He's so good. Look what he's done for us. Listen, if you're in Christ, this whole thing is true for you. You've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's nothing that we lack in him. We have power to live life the way that God has designed us to live it. It's not just circumstantial, but it's spiritual. Just open up the Bible and read a couple sentences and see if you don't have a reason to thank God. One pastor calls Thanksgiving worries kryptonite. You know, kryptonite who took it, like it was kryptonite that would make Superman weak and, you know, impotent. And you just start thanking God. You're going to see anxiety and worry start to flee in your life. That's why Chesterton said that, I love this, that, that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. It is it's experiencing happiness over the provision of something in our life, but it's also, it, it's also doubled by the fact that we can't believe that we get to experience this ourselves. That there is a good God who loves us and is watching out for us and is caring for us every single second of our lives. And when we come to God, here, here, here's some encouragement. When we come to God and we present these anxieties before him with, with everything that's going on in our lives, our request, our thanksgiving, Paul says that there's an amazing result. He says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Two, two truths here. God's peace, number one, is beyond our ability to even understand it. it it's, it's so good that we can't even understand it, much less explain it. It surpasses, it surpasses our ability to 
to understand. The, the Greek literally uh, reads, um, it's, it rises above every mind. Think about that. It rises above every mind. So, so here, here's the, here's the, the practical uh, translation. When you're going through something that should absolutely crush you with anxiety, and then people see your life and they see that, hey, wow, even though they're going through the worst of it, they're, they're like they're somehow, some way, they're okay. They're experiencing this internal calm and rest and peace. The only conclusion is, wow, they must have something going on within them that is causing them to rise above their circumstances, not live under them. And so the peace of God, number one, it transcends our understanding in the most beautiful ways. But then number two, I love this, it guards our minds and our hearts in Christ. And so this word guard means to fortify against. It's it's like self-doubt and and unbelief and, and, and all of these anxieties that, that want to creep in. And we, we talked about last week, we have an enemy who wants to come against us and lie to us. The peace of God fortifies us against all of these things. But it comes by spending time in the presence of God. Augustine said this, God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. So this morning, I just simply want to ask you this. Do you know him? Are you experiencing a real, vibrant relationship with God these days? I love, we did a lot of prayer last week. We talked about the God of breakthrough. We prayed here, we prayed out in the lobby, we prayed in our groups. I was texting people this week, hey, how can I pray for breakthrough for you? And so many of the requests were, just pray that I would go deeper in my relationship with God. Pray pray that I would seek God like like never before. Pray that I would uh, focus more on my prayer life. All of those requests are saying, I want to know this intimacy with God, this real vibrant relationship that God made me for. I want to experience it in increasing measures. And so wherever you are, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, the good news of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus left the peace of heaven to enter into our broken, troubled world so that through his life, death, and resurrection, we might experience God's peace both now and forever. This is what Paul says in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to tell you today is this. Listen, you may have come into the building today unsure if you have a relationship with God or maybe certain that you don't. And God wants to change that. God sent his son so that you wouldn't have to wonder if he loves you or wonder if you're not only going to spend eternity with God in heaven, but 
have an abundant life through Christ right here on earth. And so if you need to say yes to Jesus, then I want to encourage you today to to put your trust and your faith in him, what he did for you in his death and resurrection so that you can experience this peace. Because listen, you can't experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. And so say yes to him today. Cry out to him today. God, I need you. I want you in my life. I want to be changed forever and experience peace with you today and tomorrow and forever. But then for the rest of us, it's coming to the cross again. It's coming to that place again where we remember what God has done for us, how much he loves us, how much he's with us and for us so that we can again experience his peace, a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that guards our hearts and minds. And so I want to lead us in a time of prayer, and then the, the music team is going to come out, and our prayer team is going to come forward as I pray. And there, there may be, listen, there may be just some anxieties that are weighing you down, that you just, I just need to pray with someone else. That's why we're here. We don't do this every Sunday, but we do it, you know, frequently just so that you have an opportunity to respond, to receive support and prayer from someone else. So listen, whatever it is in your life, maybe today you need to say, Tanner, what you're talking about, a real relationship, a vibrant relationship with God, I want that. Listen, come and talk to me like right now or after the service. It's like, I want to start today. There's no better day than today. So listen, I'm going to pray. Our prayer team is going to come forward. Our music team is going to come out, lead us in a time to respond to how God is speaking to each one of us. Father, we ask that in these moments, we would do what we have just heard, that we would come to you knowing that you are a God who hears and cares about everything going on in our lives because you care about us. And so, Lord, may this be a time where we don't hold back, but we put our request before you. We bring our anxieties into your presence. We cast them into your lap and say, God, this is too much for me, but it's not for you so that we can experience your peace, a peace that is amazing and indescribable. And so, God, would you do what you want to do in our hearts now, God, for any person that's on that verge of just saying yes to you and beginning a new relationship with you to have new life in Christ, God, we pray that you would give them the courage to step out and to say yes, to receive your love for the first time today. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.